This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. This is the holiday special. I'm abroad and I'm in the garden of this rental property that I'm in. You might be able to hear crickets. So if that's the case, apologies. I mean, I think you can hear the crickets. Let me just be quiet for a second. You can give them a listen. Why do they do that? I understand that they're rubbing their wings together, but what is the point? It's probably a mating ritual, probably something to do with reproduction. Um, nature is very sophisticated, isn't it? And ingenious, but it's also incredibly stupid. And um, a lot of creatures go through a very laborious process, don't they, to reproduce or to get anything done. It's um, it's, it's pretty counterproductive in a lot of cases. So nature is good, but not perfect. Uh, but you're perfect and it's lovely to have your company. So I'm away and I just thought we would do this chat on the road, which means that if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see uh, my swimming stuff bouncing around in the distance on a clothing line. And you'll hear the crickets and you'll notice a mild sunburn on my face. You're welcome. Uh, lots to talk about. Accidents are valuable as long as you survive them. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, for example, I fell off my motorbike many years ago and I delightfully survived it. But actually, after that, I became better at riding a motorbike because I'd had that experience of knowing what it was like when the bike actually fell to the ground, what it was like to fall off, where my head went. It was an experience. I learned something from it. I understood both my body and the bike better. I understood the tires and the brakes. I had more of a relationship with that machine because I fell off it. Um, if I was just driving around, riding around on a motorbike and never fell off it, then in some ways I'm ill-equipped to ride it. Whereas having had a couple of tumbles, I just feel that that is miles on the clock, no metaphor no pun intended, but I think that's really, really useful. So any accident, you know, you just sort of survive it. Let's say you're on a skateboard and you fall and you break your wrist. Absolute nightmare. Of course it is. But your wrist hopefully will recover. It will get stronger. Of course, we know, don't we, with a bone break, that when a bone breaks, if you fuse it together and it heals, it becomes stronger than it was before you broke it. The area of bone around the crack will be will be denser. There'll be more bone. It's like it's been welded together. And that's true of any accident, of any pitfall, of any setback. Um, it strengthens you. You know, it is just experience. It's information. It's data. Now, I don't want you to go and have an accident, but everything that goes wrong in life, 
teaches you something. And the, there's only one bad thing about things going wrong or an accident or you making mistakes. There's only one bad thing. And that's if nothing is learned. Right? That's rubbish. The Titanic famously sank. And if you... Well, the safest time to go on a ship was after the Titanic sank. Because after that, so many procedures were put in place to make sure that future ships did not sink, right? The most famous ship of all, the greatest ship of history, Titanic, it went down, uh, which meant that the entire shipping industry, not just in the construction of their ships, tried to learn from what went wrong to make the hull stronger, but also for the existing boats to have procedures, to have systems, to have checks and balances. Um, anything that goes wrong in life, whether it's the sinking of a ship or an accident that you have, you just have to do a software update, okay? You just have to make sure that you acknowledge what's happened and what's gone wrong and create a fix so it never happens again. And with that fix, you become a superior person. I mean, phones have software updates every few months, don't they? And that's to fix bugs and glitches. Uh, sometimes they'll make a mistake. There'll be a problem with the software. An accident has happened, a mistake has been made, and the software update will fix it so that the phone runs better than ever. Why don't you try to give yourself a software update at least once a week, ideally every day? There's an excellent book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, and it's by Dale Carnegie, who is the founding father of self-help books. And his books came out in the 1940s, I think, maybe the 1930s. He wasn't, a, he wasn't like a psychiatrist or a psychologist. He was just a wise man with life experience. He put it all into his books. He had a great clarity of thought. He wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a seminal book, and How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, which has been mentioned in the show. In fact, something I should do on the show, and I'm going to take a note, is a reading list of all of the most useful books that I mentioned in this podcast that I can then share with you. So I must get, get to work on a reading list. But let me put How to Stop Worrying and Start Living at the top of your reading list, a book I love, a book that changed my life because I am a natural worrier. My family are Irish. I think the Irish are quite neurotic. I think the Irish worry. I think it's inculcated in Roman Catholicism because you're so obsessed with death. It's very much the flavor of that religion. It's a nice religion. I enjoyed growing up a Catholic. I like being a Catholic. It's a, honestly, my, my experience of Catholicism was very positive. And I know that's not the case for many. But I found it quite chilled out. The church was not very in your face. It was a North London parish. And the priests were very relaxed. One of them used to drink in the local pub. How cool is that? remember when I was a teenager and had my first sort of teenage pint in the local and, and there was the priest sinking a couple of Stellas. Why not? What's not to like? Uh, but I ra was raised a Catholic. Uh, yeah, I liked it. It taught me things like prayer. And actually, that's another one for a future podcast, which is the power of prayer. And it doesn't matter what religion you are. And in fact, even if you're not religious at all, which is probably most people these days, you can still pray. So we're going to talk about how to pray, even if you're not religious on a future show. But I definitely found prayer 
And I do find prayer very nice, very restorative. Think of it as like meditation. It's good. So I did, I did have that. And what's also really useful about religion is it teaches you that you're very insignificant, that you're a speck of dust in the universe, which, you know, we are. We're great. We're amazing. We're all powerful, but we're temporary. We are itinerant. We're fleeting. We're insignificant. And actually, that should be very liberating to you. So what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Anything that goes wrong is a potential learning experience and therefore a gift. It's magical. So mental scars, as long as you've had, you know, perhaps you've had therapy or perhaps you've talked it through with someone, you've processed bad stuff that has happened to you. But, you know, it's the sum of your parts. It's your makeup. Think of yourself as a big bottle of wine that just matures with age. That wine gets better with every year, doesn't it? That's what you are. You're a lovely big old bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon wine. And you improve with age. But why are you improving? Well, because stuff is happening to you and you're learning from it. And that makes you wiser. Because everyone goes on about how terrible it is to get older, which I think is absolute nonsense. I think when you get older, you become cleverer and you become wiser and you have all this life experience. I'm much happier being 49 than I was being 29. No question about it. And if you look at scars, like physical scars, be proud of those, okay? If you've got a scar on your face or on your arm or on your leg, view a scar as a trophy of survival. Right? That scar means that something bad happened to you, but it didn't kill you. You pulled through. Aren't you brilliant? Well, you are brilliant. Um, I was just framing myself up to get this video going for this podcast this week, and I didn't like what I saw. I mean, I don't know what you think. I've been in the sea, and my hair is straw-like. What the actual? What the hell? Um... It was just like, I did not look like, look, look like what I saw in the viewfinder. And then I had a sudden thought, which is, um, you don't look as bad as you think. You, you look better than you think you do. Right? Most people, myself included, we have some level of body dysmorphia. Now, do you know what body dysmorphia is? Body dysmorphia is basically when you look in the mirror and what you see is just ugly and disgusting and horrific. And it's completely irrational. Michael Jackson had body dysmorphia, which is why he had a lot of plastic surgery and, and made himself from a very handsome man into a very odd looking man. So it's very ironic that he was beautiful, but hated what he saw and made him, he made himself ugly. Very sad, an extreme case of body dysmorphia. But we've all got it to a certain extent. And I just had it now. I just had this, as I say, getting the video ready for this because you can hear the podcast on all podcast platforms, but you can watch it on YouTube. Um, I did record the whole of last week's podcast. I got the audio and I messed up the video recording. So there's no video of last week's show, which I'm gutted about. And I'm a prize numpty, but that's because my computer is still not being, is still being fixed by Apple, which is very annoying. 
Um, yeah, I was framing myself up and I just thought, no, my hair and my face, I just thought it was awful what I saw. And then I hesitated and I just thought, no, you look better than you, you think you do. Okay, we've all got body dysmorphia. So if you're getting ready to go out and you don't like what you see, or if you're looking at pictures of yourself from holiday, or if you catch an image of yourself on a Zoom call and you think you look bad, let me tell you, that is the body dysmorphia. I think almost everyone's got it. That's the body dysmorphia. So please take my word for it. You look better than you think. Because how many times has someone... You're like you met up with someone and they say, oh, God, sorry about my hair or my skin's really bad at the moment. Or look at these spots or this outfit doesn't suit me or this T-shirt doesn't fit. Right. Have you noticed when people say stuff like that to you, you, that was never something you thought until they told you. And I know, honestly, all the time when I've got, you know, friends are like, oh, my God, my hair's so long. I need a haircut. I'm like, your hair's amazing. Please, please don't get it cut. How many times have people told you that they, they need a haircut and you, you disagree? Or that they, I don't know, they want to get rid of that pair of jeans because they think they don't suit them. Like the jeans are brilliant on you. So I want you to understand that you look better than you think. A big part of this podcast is for you to love yourself. And the reason why I want you to love yourself is because you are lovable. You're lovable. I love you. Okay. You're listening to this or you're watching it. We haven't met, but you're lovable and I love you. And lots of people around you love you too because you're lovable. So enough already with the self-hatred, with the body dysmorphia, which is basically, it's lying to you. It's a lie. Your own perception is lying to you and it's negativity. It's that naughty little chimp in your head. If you want to learn more about the chimp and the voices in your head, please go back to an amazing episode, which is all about the chimp paradox. It's so important. That's another book on the reading list, The Chimp Paradox by Professor Steve Peters. I won't explain it because it's all explained in the previous episode of the show, which I should know what number episode that is, but I don't. But I know you can look it up because you have the internet. Aren't you clever? Um, but yeah, I, I don't want you to listen to that voice in your head that says you're ugly, your hair's disgusting, you look bad in that t-shirt. I don't want you to listen to that voice saying you're not good enough. You're not good enough to apply for that job. You're not good enough for that promotion. You're not good enough for the pay rise. It's not true. Most people undervalue themselves and willing to bet that you undervalue yourself. Well, that's what this podcast is all about. We're going to fix that because you are no longer going to undervalue yourself. So I want you to promise now for the next few days, right, between now and the next podcast, I want you to love what you see in the mirror. I want you to see your face and your hair, and your body and go, you're gorgeous. You're lovely. I mean, of course, you know, you do what you can, like you wear your best clothes, you brush your hair, you wash it, Maybe you wear makeup. You do things to enhance. Like I've got this thing where if I sort of like weirdly sort of adjust my hair, it creates the illusion in my head that it's better. I am struggling a bit with the hair today, but I've got to, I've got to practice what I preach. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. There you go. That's what I want you to do. Love yourself. And the only reason why is because you are so lovable. 
Um, I learned this quite a lot from comedy and from broadcasting. This idea that how you feel is not the same as what's actually happening. So for example, in radio, I've done radio shows where it just seemed like a terrible show. I'm waffling on like I am now, and it's just not happening. The interviews are bad. The guests are bad. I'm not on good form. It's just a terrible performance, a dreadful product. And I go and listen back to the show, and it's a really good show. And I'm very happy with it. I'm like, that's a good show. And it's because I listen back. There's other shows where I feel like I am on fire. I'm owning this. I'm the king of radio. Great interviews, amazing questions. I'm on fire, smashing it out of the park. I listen back. It's rubbish. It's complete bloody rubbish. So wait a minute. How can a radio show that felt bad be really good? And how can a radio show that felt great be bad? Because there's a huge difference between how you feel and how things feel and how they actually are. Promise you. And the reason why it goes back to the Chimp Paradox episode, which is this little animated creature in your head is jumping to conclusions and being insecure and putting two and two together and coming up with five. So if you're at work and a meeting doesn't feel like it's going well, don't worry because it may be going better than you think. I used to be involved in a late night comedy show at university and it was improv comedy with scenes which are made up of suggestions from the audience and then various comedy actors, myself included, comedians would, would perform and act out these, um, these scenarios recommended or suggested by the audience. And it was a lovely thing, it was a good show to do, really enjoyed it. And I always thought, you know, the show was pretty good. I thought I was okay. I, I didn't think the show was incredible, but I thought, you know, we're learning and it's, the audience seemed to be quite enjoying it and it's fine and it's worth doing. So I thought the show was quite good. Well, one night I had the night off because there were too many people and they, the director said, can, can someone take a night off? And I said, oh, I'll take a night off. I fancy going out. I was at uni. I think I'd had a busy week, lots of work on my plate. And it was a Friday night and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to work really hard. It is a great way to plan your life right. Make difficult things fun. So I remember it was a busy week, lots of work, and I thought I'm going to reward myself. I'm going to get all the work done so that on Friday night I'm going to go out with my mates. And I don't have to do that show because they've asked me to take night off. So busy week of work, a lovely reward at the end of it. Not the beginning. You can't put the reward at the start. It's got to go at the end. It's called delayed gratification, as I'm sure you know. And I get through that week and I'm, you know, it's Tuesday and it's Wednesday and I'm grinding through the work and I'm looking forward to that Friday. And I thought, yeah, I'll have the night off on Friday and I'll go out with my mates and I will buy a ticket and I will watch the show that I'm normally in. Very good exercise, a very useful thing to do because, of course, I was in this show. I'd never actually seen it. I'd watched rehearsals, but I'd never been in the audience of this show. So I went out with my mates that night. We're in the pub, a couple of beers. Then we get to the theatre, sold out Friday night, interesting. Grab a beer, 
at the theatre. You go in, I'm sitting at the back, I don't want my colleagues to see me, I don't want to make eye contact with them, I want to just hide in the back. And I watch this show with an audience, a show that I'm normally in. And remember, this is a show that I think is, is, is quite good. Uh, it's not perfect, it's not amazing, but it's, it's getting there and it's worth doing, right? The show's quite good. With three stars, three out of five. Well, I'm watching this show and it's hilarious. I'm like, all of this is improvised. How the hell do they do it? Are they geniuses? Is there some kind of magic at play? They're saying the first thing that comes into their head, but they're crafting these amazing scenes which feel like they're scripted, but I know for a fact they're not because they've just taken a suggestion from the audience at the beginning of the show. So they could never have known that this was about a space rocket that contained Barack Obama, right? And Cliff Richard. Cliff Richard and Barack Obama are flying a space rocket and they're um, going to um, discover a new planet, right? That's the premise of the scene, let's just say. Obama and Cliff Richard. Cliff Richard, English rock and roll legend, wonderful singing voice, a man that never cracked America, but a very talented guy and sold a lot of records. Barack Obama, highly respected former president of the United States. Quite a good idea that, the two of them doing space travel and finding a new planet. Because I think old Obama, he's a good leadership guy, isn't he? You know, so he'll plan things well and then Cliff will just entertain and he'll sing and he will, um, he'll survive on that new planet because Cliff Richard is the Peter Pan of pop. He's an ageless superstar. Anyway, um, I went to see this show and it was just really good. I mean, it was not quite good. It was bloody amazing. And I couldn't believe that I was in this show. And my estimation of what we were doing and this whole project exploded. Now, why did I just think it was okay, but not great? Because of that dysmorphia of we do not nearly see how good we are all the time. We don't understand our huge potential. We don't understand the good job we're doing. We don't understand how hard we're working. Yes, we can always do better. And if you're one of my lazy ne'er-do-well listeners or viewers, and I love you too, Oh, the lazy ne'er-do-well people. I've been one of those people. I will be one of those people again, no doubt. Um, yes, you have to pull your socks up and you've got to push it a bit, push yourself. And there are times when your performance is rubbish and it felt rubbish and it was rubbish. So, you know, I'm not going to gloss over the fact that sometimes things are rubbish. Body dysmorphia, right? If you've got mud on your hair and your clothes are all filthy and disgusting and wrinkled, maybe you do look a bit rubbish. But I just mean, as a general rule, we tend to undervalue ourselves. I couldn't believe it. It was such a revelation watching how good that show was. And I went and spoke to my colleagues, my co-stars, and I said, you've got no idea how good this show is and how amazingly talented you all are and what a, what a joy it is to behold. And it made me think, because I watched that show and it was not a million miles away from shows that I'd been doing that I was involved in. Therefore, I guess I was as good as the people I was watching. And therefore it made me realize I'm probably better than I think I am. And that was a good moment. It was a great thing. But listening back to things, um, I used to do a late night radio show and it's very hard because sometimes we had no guests and no callers and I had to just talk. And I remember just thinking, this is a disaster. And I would listen to it back and again, quite compelling, quite amazing. Um, a lot of people do not like to watch themselves. 
or hear themselves. Margaret Thatcher, former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, and a very, I mean, loved by some, hated by others, but clearly a very gifted politician and a very consequential statesperson, statesman. Three election victories, almost a decade in power. So she was not insignificant. And she had a chemistry degree and she was very articulate. She certainly wasn't stupid. I think we can all agree that. Well, would you believe? And by the way, this woman was on TV and on the radio every day. She watched the news every night. And whenever she came on, she would run out of the room. She couldn't watch herself on TV. This all-powerful, queen-like figure, suffused with self-belief and conviction. Right? This is not someone that did self-doubt. Not a bit of it. She couldn't watch herself on TV. So if you are somebody that can't bear to watch yourself or hear yourself, you're in good company. Judy Dench, amazingly brilliant actress from the Bond films and countless classic films and television shows. Dame Judy Dench, perhaps the greatest British or English actress of the last 50 years. Dame Judy Dench, does it get better than Dame Judy Dench? Who have you got? I do like that woman from Downton Abbey. I think she's up there. Maggie Smith, she's good too. There are lots of good actresses, but doesn't get better than Judy Dench. She cannot watch herself on screen. Imagine after all those performances, so you're in good company. Uh, now I'm on holiday, so I'm going to talk to you about holiday stuff. Um, but what I'm going to do is, I think it was the last episode, I said I might do a show where we just drink alcohol, right? It's like the boozy episode. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm on holiday. It's late afternoon. I think, I hope that you will permit me to have a cold beer. What do you think? It wouldn't be bad, would it? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to just uh, pop off for a second. I've actually just invested via Amazon in sort of one of those cordless microphones, which is very, very useful. And... Um, it means that you can hear me still whilst I pop into the fridge, find some some kind of beverage refreshment and um, get myself. Yeah, that'll do. An Italian cold beer, which is a clue as to where I am. I like to rinse, um, just rinse the mug because um, I'm one of those people, I don't trust anyone else's washing up. Do you? I don't trust anyone else's washing up. I have a relatively close relative. By the way, I don't know if you remember, but um, a few weeks ago, I told you that I'd spent about a year looking for shorts that had a zip. Because when I swim, if I'm on holiday, I like to have my glasses because it means when I'm swimming, if I go for a long swim, I can see everything clearly, like the lovely landscape and the view. And I remember saying to you that I've been looking for shorts that had a zip, because if you dive into the water with normal shorts, that have just got like a little Velcro on the pocket, the glasses could pop out. And I cannot lose my glasses because they're like prescription sunglasses. 
So um, I spent ages looking for these, like looking around in shops. I saw a pair, they were really expensive. But I couldn't justify that. You're not going to spend a lot of money on shorts. And I never found it. And then one day when I was in a real, real hurry for swimming, and I grabbed some really bad, low quality rubbish shorts from my last minute, uh, I basically got a box with swimming stuff in, which I've had for years. And I pulled out a pair of these pink shorts from Primark, which cost me, I think, about two or three pounds because they were reduced. They were in the sale, probably because of the garish pink color. I put them on. Turns out they had two zips, right? one on either side. Well, you've never seen the zips. So here they are. Zip on one side, zip on the other. Absolutely brilliant. And um, the, the, the sort of lesson, the lesson of that particular story was Sometimes what you're looking for, you've already got. So never forget that. This is why it's very good. And it's linked to good mental health to be grateful for stuff. Practicing gratitude. We've talked about that in the past. It seems odd, isn't it? If you're knee deep in debt, your partner's left you, you're suffering health issues. Why on earth would you express gratitude. That's ridiculous. You've got nothing to be grateful for. Your life is terrible. Well, the reason why is because there's always someone worse off than you. And if you are grateful, if you demonstrate gratitude, it just improves your mental health. It makes you feel better. It just works. So what you can do every day is write down three things that you're grateful for. And I remember watching a documentary about Christopher Reeve, who played Superman. And it was so tough because he fell off a horse and he was a quadriplegic. And the biggest issue is that he wasn't even able to breathe independently. So notwithstanding that his hands didn't work, his legs didn't work, but he needed a tube to feed him. And all he wanted for the whole documentary was just to be able to breathe by himself. And I'm, tragically, I don't think it actually happened before he died. But his holy grail, his dream was to be able to breathe by himself. So if you're going through a tough time, and I've got no doubt you are because we all have a lot of problems, you just think of Christopher Reeve, and all he wanted was to be able to actually independently breathe. Now, whatever you're going through, I, I'm going to guess that you're able to make your body breathe without the assistance of a device. So that's the idea of gratitude is that whatever you're going through, it still makes you appreciate what you have. It puts the problems in perspective and hopefully helps you to navigate those problems and come out the other end. So, what you're looking for, you may already have. So I've just cracked open this beer. This is a Peroni. Do you know something? I will admit, we don't do enough products on the show, do we? Because that's something we started with, and I must bring those back. But this show is global, so therefore some of the products I love are UK only. And there's no point mentioning that if you're listening in Argentina, where I have, a, I've got to say, an audience. I was going to say fan base. Yeah, fan base. I've got fans in Argentina. You're welcome. Massive in Argentina. But I've just poured myself a Peroni. Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you that um, I rinsed out. First of all, cheers. You're welcome to have a beer with me if you want. We're just 30 minutes into the podcast now. I never mix alcohol with work, but I'm on holiday and I'm basically going to take you on holiday with me. So I will give you dispensation. If you're 
somebody that likes to have a beer or a glass of wine, um, you have my permission now to fire one up. Why don't you? You heard me crack open that Peroni. And you could possibly have a glass of Pinot Grigio, which is a delicious cold white wine, or you could have a Cabernet Sauvignon, a full-blooded, full-bodied, I should say, red wine. Maybe a gin and tonic, not a bad drink. Or perhaps you're not a drinker and you want to get the kettle on and have a lovely, lovely cup of tea. Gorgeous, well-brewed Yorkshire tea. How about that? Anyway, to your good health. Cheers, Peroni, Italy. So why don't I make Peroni today's product of the show? This one is an original Italian. Uh, produced in Italy in a red can. It says, Indiscutibilmente Italiano. See, I like that. I think that ties in with the theme I was saying earlier about you look better than you think you do. You sound better than you think you sound. Um, indisputably Italian is what they're saying. So they're really celebrating Italy right? Produtta in Italia. They're picking it up. It's an Italian beer. We love Italy. We're proud of it. I want you to do that with yourself. I want you to big yourself up. You are indisputibilmente yourself to the max. So I had to wash this. I, I rinsed this mug before putting the beer into it because I have a relative who I'm very fond of but they have a fatal flaw, which is when they do the washing up with all the bubbles, they don't rinse. They just drip dry. So you've got like a soapy glass and they just turn the glass upside down and leave it on the tray. How bad is that? Isn't that monstrous? Could you be close to someone like that? It's interesting, isn't it? There are a lot of clues out there about people and their nature. And another thing I'd like you to start doing is I'd like you to switch on your radar a little bit more and, and use your eyes and follow your instincts. We talked last week about follow your gut. But that relative who I do like, but that they don't, they don't rinse the bubbly dishes. That tells you something about their nature. And it means they're cutting corners. I mean, if I lived with that person, I would have to train them up. They would, I would, because it's a relative I don't see very much. And you don't choose family, do you? You just have family. I just decided to let it go because it's just not worth, you know, I don't really want the aggro. But if that person was my partner or a close friend or a flatmate, I'd have to say, listen, love you loads. Remember the Mark Dolan way technique, which is you sandwich bad news in between two bits of good news. So you say to your flatmate, Listen, uh, really love having you as a flatmate. And I think you've got a lovely singing voice. I love when I hear you singing in the shower. Do you mind rinsing <laughs> your cups and your, all your washing up? Do you mind just rinsing it before you, before you dry it? Because I, I just don't want to eat fairy liquid. And then you say at the end, I love your hair. It doesn't need a haircut. Your hair's perfect. So you've sandwiched the bad bit into the middle. You've made them feel good. Then you've given them the tough news. Then you've got back to making them feel good. And, but yeah, there are, 
there are clues out there about people and I think it's worth taking notes of people's sort of actions and behavior so that you can form an overall assessment of them and understand them. Why is that important? Well, if you are in a relationship, a marriage, or just a long-term relationship or a friendship, the more you can understand the other person, the better that relationship is going to be. So I've been married for over 20 years and I just know certain things that I might do or say which are going to cause conflict or upset my partner or trigger my partner. So I just don't do those things and it really works. So that's why a lot of relationships can really improve and develop because um, you are listening and learning. And it goes back to what I said earlier about software updates. You know, software updates about information about your partner going, they don't like it when I wear red with pink. It's like, I don't have to wear red with pink, so maybe just don't do it because then it's not annoying. Not a hill to die on, is it? Wearing red with pink. Um, but yeah, look out for, um, you know, at work, perhaps you spot a colleague that's maybe been a bit two-faced to someone else, right? A bitching about people behind their back. Don't engage with that because that's very negative. It's not very nice to be two-faced and to bitch about people. And if they are two-faced and bitching about people uh, in your company, in your presence, well then they could be two-faced about you, couldn't they? So that is, it, you know, it doesn't sound very nice, does it? But, you know, you, you're always in life, you're always putting a file together on people. And what I mean is you just observe and you take note, especially, I think when it comes to relationships, it's different because let's say, you, you know, you've got your partner, you've got your boyfriend, you've got your girlfriend, you love them, you're committed to them. It's not like they're on trial. You know, you're not judging them. You've made a decision. It's like, you know what, I'm all in. I love you loads. There's things about you that are annoying, but my God, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. So I guess there's a little bit less of the observation then. You certainly don't want to be judgy. You you don't want to be judgy about your partner, as I say, put them on trial. Uh, but you can. It doesn't hurt to think about your partner and to observe their actions and observe their behavior in order to boost and improve the relationship and be a better partner. Um, I couldn't believe, I used to do a show called I'm Here to Help, which involved people writing down their problems, a live comedy show, write down their problems at the beginning of the show, and then I would sort of help solve their problems in the course of, of the hour. And the number of couples that had issues, like the guy would put, like leave wet towels on the bed, and his partner didn't like it, but he just did it, it was like a habit. And it was a source of great conflict. And it's just like, dude, just don't leave wet towels on the bed. She's told you you don't like it. Don't do it. And then there will be less conflict in your relationship. It'll be a happier relationship. And you've listened to her. We don't listen to each other. So I think that's where observing and taking note, whether it's professionally with colleagues, to get the best out of colleagues. Sir Alex Ferguson, the most successful club manager in English football history, was very good at observing and watching players. And he would sometimes have an insecure player and he'd have a confident player and he would yell at the confident player but he knew that the insecure player 
would get the message that Ferguson was giving to the confident player. So Ferguson was indirectly communicating with the insecure person, but knowing he couldn't do it directly because it would break them, but that the message would still land. He was actually using the confident person as a way of messaging someone else. How clever a psychology is that? So Ferguson dresses someone, someone down. It's, it's for the others too. It's for the bystanders. It's messaging. It's communication in the most sophisticated form. Um, I heard a very sad story, but it ties in with this theme of observing people. And this was a guy, lovely person. I was at university with him. And he got married very young to the wrong person. And his sister, who is and was devoted to him, hated this woman. She's like, I love my brother. She's so awful. She's so wrong for him. He fell in love with her. They got married very quickly. He was so young. She was devastated. She did not like her sister-in-law one bit. So that Peroni, by the way, today's product is excellent. It's kind of malty. Uh, it's got a good carbonation, but it's not, not too frizzy. It's not too fizzy. Lovely aftertaste as well. It's not too strong. 4.7. So that's not going to knock you for six. I think I'll get through this podcast without incident. This guy, his sister does not like the woman he married. He's in love. And I went for a beer with him long after they divorced. And of course, my mate, my, my, my mate, his sister, my mate, was so happy that, that they divorced. She got her brother back. And he said to me, we had a beer. He was one of those guys. We ordered this beer and it's called Old Peculiar, which is a very strong ale. I think it's by a company called Theakston's, which is an excellent brewery. And uh, he's one of those guys that the first beer would go down in one. So he would literally, he'd be like that. He said to me, the first beer doesn't even touch the sides. He would, he would open his throat and the drink would just glide down without the usual swallowing mechanism. Just straight down the hatch, glug, 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 glug. So we're having a beer. So he, what he'd do is he'd order me a beer and he'd get a beer. And the first one, he would straight down the hatch. And then he'd order a second beer. And he would drink his second beer at the same rate that I would have my first. So that I will always be one behind him at that point. So we've had a couple of beers and he's telling me about his life. And he's telling me about this relationship with this woman. Should we call her Susan? No disrespect to Susan's, but I do think Susan's can be quite difficult, don't you think? I think so. I think they're lovely, but oh my God, hard work at times. Like Jenny's. Jenny's are the worst, aren't they? Jenny, oh my God, welcome to hell. Very highly strung, very demanding. Um, moaning, short temper. Jenny, thanks, but no thanks. Ugh. Ugh. Jenny, thanks, but no thanks. Susan's are okay, but not far from perfect. So anyway, he is with... I had a friend, by the way, who's convinced that everyone called Anne is mad. Um, is this scientifically proven? Are Anne's crazy? 
had this friend, honestly, he really believed it very strongly. He's like, he said, Anna's are fine. I've got no problem with Anna, but he's, he said that every Anne is just off the charts mental. Is that true? I don't know. Anyway, so Susan and my mates are divorced and we're having a few beers. And he said, Mark, do you know when I realized the moment when the marriage was over? And I said, no, what happened? He said, it's so minor. He said, we were um, out and about in the car. I think they'd been on a bit of a hike or something. They'd been out, basically, together. It was all nice, nice day. I think, been, I think they, live in, uh, they lived in Yorkshire, beautiful part of the world. So a nice active day. And they made a decision, which is that on the way home, they would pick up fish and chips. And then they'd get in and they'd get the fire on. My mate would almost certainly crack open a beer, which the first of which would just be straight down the hatch. There wouldn't be the usual swallowing mechanism. No engagement of the tongue or any saliva reaction. It would just be, first one is glug, 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 straight down. And so they talked about it in the car. We have fish and chips, couple of beers, get the fire on, and we'll just have a lovely, lovely evening in front of the telly. Oh my God, how decadent, how wonderful, what a lovely thing to look forward to. So they're driving along, they're looking forward to their fish and chips, right? Susan and, what should we call my mate? Because I change everyone's names for their own privacy. I need to give him a name which is a name of a great guy because he is a great guy. So I've got to think of a name that is reliably an excellent bloke. I would call him Barry, but I find Barry's can be, can be brilliant and they can also not be brilliant. I worked for a Barry and he was a dream. Amazing, fabulous man. I've got a relative who's a Barry who is an outstanding world-class human being. But then I also had a colleague called Barry who was a wrong and dreadful, dreadful character, not honest, a disaster. So for me, Barry's can be great and not so great. So I don't think that's the right name for him. What shall I call him? I've got Susan. I need a name, which is the name of a great guy. Uh, Roberts can be okay, but they're a little bit stiff, aren't they? Don't you think? You're a little bit anally retentive. It's like, just get over yourself. I know lots of good Robs, by the way, and a great Rob. Never really met a Rob that wasn't a good guy. I think Rob is one of those names. Yeah, Rob's coming to the party, isn't he? Is Rob coming? Yeah, of course Rob's coming. And Rob's got a keg. Rob's bringing like a keg of beer. And also he's got like this guacamole recipe and he's going to bring kettle chips. You know, Rob is a good guy. Rob is, is the kind of guy that would... um would think of the non-drinkers, right? He comes to the parties, I've got a keg of beer, I've got kettle chips, I've got uh, homemade guacamole, and I've also bought a couple of big bottles of uh, Sprite for the non-drinkers. That's the sort of thing Rob would do. So why don't we call him Rob? I think so. I've never met a Rob that wasn't good. I've had very good experience with Dan's as well, and Daniel's. Daniel's and Dan's, all good. 
Hit rate 100%. Let's call him Rob, right? We're settled on Rob. So Rob and Susan are in the car and they're driving along and they've had a lovely day in Yorkshire and they're looking forward. You know, they've probably got rained on and everything, so they can't wait to get out of their wet stuff. There's going to be some brilliant show on TV. They're going to have hot fish and chips, right? Oh, my God. Proper British fish and chips. Um, they might have gone for haddock, which I actually prefer to cod because I find cod can be a bit dry and flaky, whereas I find the haddock has got a nice texture to it. Deep fried in batter with some lovely chips. It's going to get so much salt. I don't know about you. I have so much salt on my fish and chips and a couple of drops of vinegar on the fish itself, but not on the chips because I think it makes them soggy, but each their own with brown sauce. You can have tomato ketchup, which I grew up with, but I, I then lived for four years in Edinburgh. And in Edinburgh, you have brown sauce on your fish and chips. And brown sauce is darker and spicier than tomato ketchup. And I've got a theory as to why they have brown sauce in Edinburgh and not ketchup. My theory, which has no historic um, backup, is that it's very cold in Edinburgh in the winter. And I think if you're standing at the bus stop with your fish and chips, I don't think you are going to taste anything if it's tomato ketchup. But if it's the, if it's the brown sauce, I think you do taste it. So they're looking forward to their fish and chips. My dad had a great thing with fish and chips. His tradition, which is fish and chips, sliced bread with butter, and milk. That's how much, for some reason, my father never drank milk except with fish and chips. And then sliced white bread. Amazing. It worked. Try it. He's not stupid. A very wise man. Anyway, so that's it. So can you imagine how good they're both feeling? Rob and Susan. Don't forget, he's in love with her. His sister hates her. He doesn't know why. All is good with the world. Well, here's the story, and he told me this over a pint. He said to her, listen, you get out. What you, you, you get out, uh, get the ball rolling with plates and all that, and I'll park the car, okay? So she said, yeah, sure. So they've got the fish and chips, right? She, she gets out. They arrive home. She gets out of the car with the fish and chips and everything, right? She goes into the house. He then parks his car. And I, I think the car's a little bit down the road. It's, it's, not, it's not straight outside the property. So he's going to drive down the road, three-point turn, get the car parked, keyless entry, lock the car with the fob, bang, bleep, bleep, car's locked. He then goes into the house. He opens the living room door. And Susan has opened the fish and chips and she has already started eating them. And that is the moment that Rob realised his marriage was over. Isn't that astonishing? Now, I will obviously, I want you to process that. But he explained to me why. I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I'm not sure what your deductions are. But he just said, 
They'd really been looking forward to the fish and chips. It was a real kind of lovely crowning moment of the day. She hadn't waited for him. And he was devastated and he realized that he said that's the moment when his heart sank and he realized this isn't going to work. Isn't it odd how something as significant and minor as that can end a relationship? So it's not infidelity or something. It's starting the fish and chips before he got in. And the reason why I think he was devastated is because I just think he thought it demonstrates her attitude. You see, that's a big thing. And I'm always going to talk to you about on this show. The reason why actions are so important is because they contain a message. Whatever you do, everything is messaging. And her message to him is, I'm putting myself first. You don't matter. You don't have to be there. I don't need you there. And I'm going to put my needs ahead of yours. And this is not a shared experience. Anyone else, and I promise you, right, I've got, as we know, a trillion faults, a trillion faults. But I would never have done what Susan did, right? If I'm with Rob, I wait for Rob to come in. I've got everything ready. I've got the TV on. I've got the brown sauce. I've got the salt. I've buttered the bread. Right? The milk has been poured. Uh, the jacket, my jacket's hanging up to dry. I've switched on the radiator because it's freezing. I've, in fact, I've, I've actually put a couple of coals on the fire and got it started. And I'm waiting for Rob. And I want to have that moment with Rob where he sits down next to me. And then together we tear open the wrapping on the fish and chips. Tear it open, right? And as you tear it open, the steam rises from the fish and those glistening chips. You stick your hand in and you plonk some chips on, on, on his plate, plonk some chips on your plate. And you split the fish and the salt goes on and the, the brown sauce. And it's just a shared experience. It's a thing of beauty. And that's what I would have done. And that's why, hilariously, if I had married Rob, we'd still be together. But she didn't do that. She wasn't a nice person. Her, his, his sister was right. By the way, I'm afraid it very often happens that, you know, let's say your mom or your dad doesn't like the person you're dating and you, you sort of marry them. They're very often proved right, you know, your mum and your dad, because they've got your best interests at heart and they know you and they can see this other person. If you are in a relationship, if you're thinking of making it permanent, maybe just take into account the views of your parents, your friends and your siblings. Why? Because they have your best interests at heart. Now, occasionally they can be wrong. And we know about Romeo and Juliet, forbidden love. So that can be the case that they are wrong. And look, your mum doesn't decide who you spend the rest of your life with. You decide. But hear them out. At least take into um, account. A bit like what I always say about critics, you know, when I'm, I do comedy and, and broadcasting. If I get criticism, I try to, like, listen to it and take any value from it. And then if I disagree with it, I'm like, you're wrong, go away. But do that with um with somebody that you're thinking, if you're thinking of marrying someone, you know, ask your friends, what do you think of my partner? Because your friends can be trusted. They're neutral. 
because they just want the best for you and they know you and they love you, your family as well. And my mate's Rob's sister, what should we call her? Because um, she is a brilliant human being. So what is the name of an excellent female? I would say Louise, but I think like Barry, I think you, it's a mixed bag with Louise's, isn't it? If we're honest. They can be very, very up themselves, Louise's. I might go for, what is a good name of a brilliant woman? Not Anne, we know they're all mental. Not Jenny, obviously, welcome to hell. Let's call her Hmm. I was going to say Sarah. I think most Sarahs are good, but the odd one isn't. It's not consistent. It's not like a Dan or a Daniel where it's a 100% hit rate. Let's call her. Ha, I think I might have got it. Catherine. I think they're all good, aren't they, Catherine's? Never met a bad Catherine. Kathy? Kath? No complaints. 100% hit rate. Let's call her Catherine. Catherine was right. We didn't need to spend so long coming up with her name, by the way, because she's at the end of the story. That was unnecessary. But anyway, Catherine was right. You should have asked Catherine. Rob should have had a chat with Catherine and said, why do you hate her? I know you want me to be happy, so what's the problem? Why is... Why is Susan such an issue? But that was the moment when he realised his, his marriage was over, was the uh, fish and chips. And um, so you in your life, right, whether it's at work or in relationships, you can just observe these moments. I think it's especially useful at work because at work it's the rat race. You're trying to get ahead and uh, understanding and observing your colleagues helps you to progress, helps you get the best out of them, or indeed if they're a rival, it helps you beat them. So be a bit of an inspector, inspector Morse with other people. Be a bit of a, a Sherlock Holmes and just watch and observe, right? And listen, because your eyes and your ears don't lie. I think we spend a lot of time just sort of not listening to our sixth sense. I think we're very disconnected from the powerful set of tools that our body has given us, these diagnostic tools that we're at work 24-7, but we don't, we drown them out. So just feel it. Watch people. My dad was very good at that. My dad ran a very successful North London pub for the best part of 40 years. I'm very proud of that pub, of its customers who were really good friends of ours, of that community, and of my father and my mother's work and my family as well. It was a real family effort and his brilliant bar staff who were, again, they were like relatives really. It was a very happy time, very special time. And my dad was very good at his job and he could watch, right? If somebody came into the pub, he could tell if they were gonna cause trouble. He had like this, because of experience, he made it his job to watch and observe people because he needed to do that in order to preserve order within his pub because this was in the 80s when people used to drink loads and then just fight each other. 
I promise you, there were a lot of fights, a lot of brawls, a lot of fisticuffs, a lot of violence, quite some amazing violence that I witnessed as a small child. NGL, that means not going to lie with the first letter of each word, one after the other. Cheers. I'm on to my second Peroni. I hope you don't mind. They're not big cans, 33 centiliters. So by British standards, I've barely, honestly, I've barely had a drink. Second can. I think, by the way, when we go, when we are back in the UK, I will, you know, I don't think, well, let's see, but I don't think I'll make a habit of this, having a beer whilst talking to you, because I just think, you know, we're back at school, I'm back at home, it's like, it's term time, and I'll be very professional, but I hope you don't mind this brief lapse in standards. I'm praying you don't mind. But if not, this could be the episode that, you know, badly backfires. But I don't think so. I think I think you understand. I think that next time I have a beer on this podcast, if I'm at home, there'll have to be a special reason, like maybe our hundredth podcast or something like that. We're not doing badly, by the way. We're on episode 29. And let me tell you, this podcast would not exist. It would be nothing without you. So thank you so much for listening and or watching in, watching, <laughs> watching in. And um loving this journey with you. I really hope you're loving the journey too. And I aim to do this podcast forever. We've hit the one hour mark and yet there's an awful lot of material to get through. So what are we going to do? Mm. Do you want me to go rapid fire? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, let's, um, let's do that. Whilst I'm on holiday, let me give you some top holiday tips, which I believe are an absolute game changer. So the first one is packing. Please, 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 please pack in advance. I want you, let's imagine you're flying on the Saturday. I want you to pack on Tuesday, or even if you're at work all week, the, the Sunday, the weekend before, okay? Please pack several days in advance. Pack on the final day off before your holiday, as it were. So if you're, if you're flying on a Saturday, I want you, I'd like you to pack on the Sunday, the weekend before when you're off work. And here's why. If you pack the night before, you're more likely to forget things. And you're far more likely to bring too much. Because certainly for me anyway, and I'll just like, anything that happens to me is, is what I believe to be the wider experience. I think that if you pack in a hurry, you always bring more. Because you're like, oh my God, I'm traveling tomorrow. It's already, it's already 1 a.m. I've got an early flight. I'm packing. I'm so tired. And I don't know how many t-shirts to bring. I've got, I got, I got yellow, green, and blue. I don't know which one. And so I'll bring all three. When you pack in advance, you're going to bring less because you have not packed in a rush. When you pack in a rush, you tend to just bring everything because decisions need to be made and you haven't got time. So it all just goes in the bag. Every, I'll take that, I'll take that. Do I need that book? I'll take it. Those underpants, take, just take it, shove it in the bag. Now, the problem is it doesn't work anymore. In the old days, 
30 years ago, you could bring too much because when you bought a plane ticket, you automatically got your baggage. I don't think there was any limit. You could certainly at least have one massive bag. I seem to remember going with my family, going with my mum, I think a couple of cases just for her. I don't think you used to pay for that. So, but now, of course, it's all changed and you pay for the extra bags. So I, for example, love, passionately love Ryanair. I think Ryanair is incredible. It's a low-cost airline in Europe. I really like the staff. I find them very down-to-earth, very no-nonsense, very efficient. I much prefer Ryanair to the posh airlines. They think that they're so special and you're so privileged to be traveling with them. Ryanair, there's just an honesty and a practicality in the staff that just bash, bash, bash. Here's where your bag goes, sir. On you go. Put your seatbelt on. No messing around. They don't micromanage. I love Ryanair. And, um, but no, the problem is, of course, that they charge for every bag. So what I do and what I did on this trip is that I, I took one carry-on case. You know those cases, it's the one on wheels with an extendable handle. And I basically, the limit, the limit is whatever I can fit into that. And then you also have a rucksack. So you've got like a small rucksack and the carry-on bag. Love it. If you're interested and if you can get hold of the brand, the brand I use is, is called IT. And it's British. And they're very, very good. It's just a suitcase with wheels on and it's called IT. And I like it because it's got two really good things. I'm very concerned about pollution and especially the plastics, which now go into landfill. And also they go into the sea. A lot of the fish you eat now contain plastic because we throw so much plastic into the sea. And also um, salt. Did you know that sea salt now contains small amounts of microplastic in salt? That's how much plastic is in the ocean, but the salt from sea sea contains plastic and that's terrible well my suitcase is from it it luggage google it british company it is biodegradable so it's like a, it feels like it's a hard plastic but it's obviously made from plant material very durable and it's biodegradable so that means that when the life of my my um travel bag when it's done when it's broken and dead it will dissolve into the ground. Unfortunately, the wheels won't, I suspect, and the handle, but the main body of it will just disintegrate. How great is that? That's really good, isn't it? So I'm a big fan of, of that and of them, so well done. But So I did, I packed about a week beforehand, and I had the bag open. And what you all you have to do, the biggest mistake is bringing too much. Always. We always bring too much. It's not nice because the bag won't shut when it's heavy to carry around. Is there anything worse than bringing back clothes that you never bloody wore? Ridiculous. So what I want you to do is I want you to storyboard your days. So let's imagine you've got five days in Ibiza. I want you to lay out your outfits for each day. Okay. 
So there are very practical people who don't care what, what they're wearing. So if you're one of those really practical people, you only need a couple of t-shirts, a couple of pairs of shorts, and your underwear for every day. And that's it, right? But there are other people, and I'm one of those people, where I like to have a choice of what I'm wearing. When I'm on holiday, I like to dress nicely. I like to have a choice. So for example, I'll wear a t-shirt during day and shorts, but in the evening, I've got like some shirts and I've got knitwear. And it's like I've got the shirt and I've got the jumper on top and the shirt goes with the jumper and nice trousers and I've got like loafers. I like look nice in the evening, you know, we go out for dinner or just, but just feel good in the evening. You've been on the beach all day, you're hot and sweaty and then you get in, you have a shower, you wash your hair, you put on a crisp shirt, put on your long trousers slide into a pair of loafers and you're dressed for the evening that feels really nice so it depends what kind of person you are if you're practical and you don't care what you wear on holiday you're very lucky and well done you but if you're like me which most people are who like to have a choice and like to look nice on holiday and like to wear their clothes that they own and show them off then all you've got to do is storyboard your days so if it's socks and underwear, well, that's really easy. If you're in Ibiza for five days, then you simply need six pairs of underpants or six knickers. That's it, isn't it? I think what you do with the underwear is you have one more day than you need in case you have an accident. <laughs> I don't know what the circumstances around that accident would be, but you're on holiday. Good luck to you. More power to you is what I would say. Can I just say briefly that the podcast is now an hour and nine minutes. Previous longest episode was 59 minutes. I'm worried that the Peroni has influenced my behavior on this podcast and may have adulterated my level of professionalism. This could be a disastrous episode that brings down the podcast because of two humble cans of Peroni, which is indiscutibilmente Italia. But I'm gonna gamble, because I've said to you on previous podcasts, no pain, no gain, sometimes you've got to roll the dice, haven't you? So we're gonna roll the dice with a feature length, longer podcast. And normal business will resume next week, so don't worry. Right, so there you go. Um, we've got, we've, we've, we've got, kept it really simple with the underwear, which is every day. Um, you need, you need un underwear for each day. In an ideal world, you don't have to bring pajamas. So if, if you're a boy, is it too much to ask just to sleep in a t-shirt? Is it one t-shirt for the trip and you can even wear it during the day or something? Not a problem, is it? By the way, an excellent hack. If you're on holiday and you've got like a favorite t-shirt and it's getting a bit smelly and you're just in a hotel room all you have to do is fill the sink with hot water and shampoo shampoo is the same as washing powder and you wash it in the sink rinse it and then you can either hang it up on the balcony because that's probably hot and sunny if you're in a hot sunny place or even just hang it in the room in the wardrobe but you can wash your clothes on the road with shampoo 
Let's imagine you're in Ibiza for five days and you've only brought two pairs of knickers or underpants. You can wash your knickers in shampoo. They can even hang over the, over the, on the towel rail of the bathroom and they'll be as good as gold for tomorrow. Here's the other thing, by the way. Have you ever washed clothes that aren't fully dry and you need to wear them? Do you know what you do? You bloody wear them. I've had damp underpants and I've had damp t-shirts which were clean but not fully dry. And unless it's cold outside, in the summer, just put them on. They'll be dry within, honestly, seconds. So we've covered it with the underwear, which is a pair of underwear every day plus a bonus pair. And then you can storyboard each day. So let's say you're in Ibiza and you're like, okay, Monday, I'm going to wear my blue t-shirt and my red shorts. Tuesday, I'm going to wear my pink t-shirt and my orange shorts. Yada, yada. So you can decide in advance each day what the outfit's going to be. In an ideal world, you'd reincorporate some of the clothes from Monday on Thursday, because I think a new different outfit every night is a bit OTT. So in an ideal world, I'd like it if you can mix and match, because that would mean bringing fewer clothes. But you can just decide in advance what each outfit's going to be each day and how you mix and match so that then you've covered it for the whole holiday. And that means that you'll be able to get by on a certain number of shirts, a certain number of blouses, a certain number of shorts, a certain number of skirts, but you've brought the correct amount. What we tend to do is just throw everything in a bag and we, 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 we don't wear half of it. If you don't wear everything that's in your suitcase on holiday, your packing failed. Your packing was bad. So next time you go on holiday, I want you to know that when you came back, you'd worn everything, okay? I want everything worn except that one spare pair of knickers, the bonus knickers in case there's an accident. We've covered that. Are you ready for the most game-changing travel hack ever? And it's this. This will change your life. The way to guarantee that you won't forget any clothes is to start from the top of your body to the bottom of your body, where your feet are. So this is for clothing, right? So what you do, let's imagine you're going on a kind of winter sports skiing holiday. So you start with the top and go, right, what is on the top? What do I wear on the top? We go, oh, hat, you need a hat because it's winter, so I'm gonna wear a hat. And then what about my face? Well, glasses and sunglasses. And then what about the upper part of my body? Oh yeah, t-shirts, jumpers, vests, jackets, right? So you just think about that bit of your body, what clothing goes on that part of your body. Then you go down to the middle, you know, belt, and then you go trousers, shorts, underpants, and then you go lower, and then you go, socks and then shoes and maybe slippers because i don't know about you but in the winter if i travel somewhere in the winter i bring slippers with me because it's nice to have warm cozy feet when you're in the hotel or at home in, in someone's house or something
But yeah, it's a really good way to not forget clothes and stuff is to just go through your whole body, starting from the top to the bottom. It works so well. The other thing that's invaluable is to make a list of everything you need. Please do it. Please don't be like one of those waiters that says, I don't write it down, I always remember. And make that list early. So if you're traveling on a Saturday, I want that list to be drawn up the Sunday beforehand. And you just think of all the things you need. Sun cream, sunglasses, gloves, whatever it is. You just write down the list of things that you need. Because you will forget. Oh, and the other thing that's crucial is you have to put essentials on there like um, passport, travel documents, tickets, boarding pass, right? All of that has got to go on the list. So please make a comprehensive list of absolutely everything. Um, it might be your favorite tea bags. Some people travel with their favorite tea bags and you get to your holiday destination and you forgot the tea bags. It's devastating, isn't it? Really minor little things can be terribly important. My dad used to travel with his favorite cheese and crackers. And he once, one year, he forgot the cheese and crackers. He was devastated, spoiled the holiday. He forgot his cheese and crackers. So make a list. Um, another top tip, it's really worth traveling with some basic medical supplies, okay? So I would recommend ibuprofen, which I think in America is called Tylenol. It's branded in the UK as Nurofen. But take a painkiller, and I recommend Nurofen or, or ibuprofen because it's an anti-inflammatory. And I was years ago skiing with a doctor, and she skied, and she fell, and she twisted her ankle. And she didn't have to go to the hospital because she was a doctor. She didn't break anything. But she's like, I'll just take some ibuprofen because that reduces inflammation. Because ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory, so it's excellent for any kind of impact you know let's say you've just hurt yourself you've landed landed on your bum and there's a bit of swelling then an anti-inflammatory painkiller is going to be good so actually ibuprofen is a good all-rounder and it's good for headaches and stuff what happens if you had a wild night you get a hangover you'll be grateful for that so always travel with some kind of pain medication I've got something which I consider genius, but I don't know if you'll agree or even approve. But I'm, I'm loving this, right? I did a documentary years ago for Channel 4 called The World's Most Enhanced Woman and Me. And I was in Brazil. And I had, I got an infection. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have time to go to the doctor. Because I'm filming. We're on a tight schedule. I can't just like queue up, wait in a hospital for seven hours. And someone said, oh no, in Brazil, uh, you just buy antibiotics. You don't have to get a doctor's prescription. Did you know that? In Brazil, you can just buy antibiotics, which by the way, is probably not very good because of these superbugs and the resistance to antibiotics is quite bad. But anyway, um, so I went in there and I bought the antibiotics and then my infection went away and it was incredible because that could have really affected the filming schedule this infected finger could have just got worse and worse and worse i could have wound up in hospital with sepsis i could have passed away i could have died anyway so uh, i started taking these um and i realized how convenient 
it would be if you could just buy antibiotics, right? Not necessarily good, but convenient. So I went back to that pharmacy a couple of days after I'd started the course, and I just bought a couple more courses of antibiotics. And I just thought, I'll have those for future travels. So it's absolutely amazing. So what I did is um, I carried on making documentaries around the world. And I just had this, I had, a, I had a full course of antibiotics with me in my bag. And about three or four shows after that one, my cameraman got ill. And I said, look, I'm not a doctor. I can't prescribe these. This is at your risk. But it seems like you've got an infection. You can have my antibiotics if you want. This is at your risk, okay? And he's like, mate, if you don't mind. Anyway, he, he took the antibiotics and he made a swift recovery. And then I was back in London and um, my mum was ill. I think she got like a chest infection and she couldn't, wasn't able to get a doctor's appointment. I said, look, I've got penicillin from Brazil. I'm not your doctor. I'm not recommending it. I'm not in a position to prescribe. But if you want, I've got penicillin. And she's like, she's a nurse. My mum is an ex-nurse. So she knows what she's doing. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's what, what I need is penicillin. So she took them and bang, her chest infection went. Right? All of this happened without a doctor's visit. Now, I will say, can I just put it on record that if you're not well, you should go and see a doctor. Right. You should not be prescribing yourself things. But I'm just being honest with you about something that I'm. Um, I quite like. So anyway, so there you go. So I've now run out of antibiotics. All the antibiotics from Brazil have gone. They've been used up. And I'm a bit disappointed now because I've lost that kind of reserve supply. Well, a few months ago, I got an infection. It was like a tonsillitis. And I went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have tonsillitis. I'm going to prescribe you amoxicillin, which is basically like penicillin, the basic antibiotic. And I said, thank you, doctor. Anyway, I've got my prescription. I'm thinking, hmm, there's an opportunity here. So I went to the chemist and they gave me the amoxicillin. And I just thought, why don't I tolerate and put up with this infected throat? And why don't I try not having the antibiotics? Let's hope my immune system is strong enough that I can that I can get better without the antibiotics. So I just decided I waited 48 hours, at which point my tonsillitis cleared up. It got better. I was drinking lots of hot drinks. I was gargling. And I was sleeping, having lots of fluids and, and vitamin C. So doing all the things that you would do to support. And I, I, just in case anyone gets an idea that they, you know, they've been prescribed antibiotics, they somehow gamble, don't take them. Do not do that. Do not take my advice. Okay. So if you've been prescribed medication, you need to take it. This is not medical advice from me, but uh, it was something that, that I did, which is I gambled on whether or not I could recover from this tonsillitis. And I did. And that was brilliant because then I was in possession of a full course of antibiotics so that if I was on the road, like abroad, let's say, um, without the ability to see a doctor very easily, 
Well, that's great. So I have a full set of antibiotics with me and I just travel with them. And by the way, I ignore the sell by date, you know, so like even in a couple of years time when they're no longer um, valid, I'm sure they'll do the job. So yeah, if you find yourself somehow in possession of a set of antibiotics, it's not bad as a travel essential. But at all times, consult your physician, consult your doctor. I'm not a doctor. If anything, the advice I have is dangerous and wrong and a disaster. There we are. I hope I've covered that one. But, um, but I do like to travel with the basic essentials. Um, if you're going anywhere exotic, it's worth having diarrhea medication. One pill will stop diarrhea. That was very useful to me in India. With painkiller, course of antibiotics, diarrhea medication. Antacid is not bad, you know, like sort of uh, acid reflux, just a few pills like of that nature is not bad. And perhaps, oh yeah, definitely a tube of antiseptic cream, which you can just buy in a regular chemist or pharmacy. So let's imagine you cut yourself, you graze yourself, and then it heals, but you put some, some of that cream on, and a plaster, bring some plasters as well. But yeah, basic medical equipment, uh, medical supplies is quite nice, and it's uh, always going to come in handy, I think. What else do you need to do? Well, people often like to read when they're abroad, don't they? But I've made the mistake in the past of bringing several books. And I think it's just silly because you're carrying these books around and they're heavy and they're bulky. It's just not very efficient, is it? But maybe like me, you do enjoy to have a hard copy of a book. I'm currently enjoying Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. That is my hard copy book. Um, so what you do is you bring one book. But what happens if you bring a book and then you hate it. So you know when I said to you that I'd like you to pack on the Sunday? Well, I would also like you to start reading the book that you're going to take with you. The best thing you can do is go on a holiday with a book that you're 50 pages into and that you know you like. Is there anything worse than taking a book on holiday and then you're like three pages in, you go, this is a very boring book and I hate it. I'm stuck with it. The number of books that I've left on holiday, like I've left in the hotel for someone else to read because it's just a dog of a book. So try to be 50 pages in to your holiday book. You could even, by the way, start like just when you're going about your life, you could just start reading a book. And if you love it, stop right there. 50 pages and save it for next time you're on holiday because then you know you've got a guaranteed good book for holiday. You don't want to gamble with a book when you're abroad. So that's the thing you want to do. Don't go for too long a book because you're probably going to carry it around for your all your daytime activities. You don't want to be carrying this big sort of heavy tome of war and peace. It's also quite satisfying to be able to finish the book whilst on holiday. So not too long isn't a bad shout. And then what you do is you take one hard copy book and then you also have a Kindle. I think the Kindle is a great investment. It's in relative terms quite cheap. And it lasts for years. 
And why the Kindle is great is because a lot of old books like Frankenstein is free on the Kindle. Charles Dickens, I think, is free. Shakespeare is free. There's just so much. You wouldn't believe that, would you? If you buy Kindle, you'll have a world of free books, many of them classics. So, um, and I'm doing the most luxurious thing, which is during the day, I read my hard copy of Frankenstein. And at night, when I'm in bed, I'm reading the digital copy of it on the Kindle so that I don't disturb my partner by having the light on. So I'm reading one book across two different devices, a Kindle and a hard copy book. Now, are you worried about the cost of the Kindle? Well, I've got great news for you. This is probably, is this the best hack of the show? No, I think the best hack is the kind of packing thing, not forgetting certain clothes going from top to bottom of your body. But this is definitely hack number two. Did you know that if you've got a smartphone, right, if you've got an Apple iPhone or Android, you can download the Kindle app, which is free. And your phone becomes a Kindle. So as long as you've got a smartphone, you can read free books like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein on your phone. So that means that you can bring a hard copy book with you, but you can also read unlimited numbers of classic books on your phone. And a phone is actually not a bad Kindle. So if you don't have a Kindle, or you don't want to buy one or you don't have the budget for one. Use your phone as an e-reader. And I can't stress enough. Yes, Android, download the Kindle app. And same with Apple. On iPhone, you can download the Kindle. I know that Kindle is Amazon, but your iPhone carries the Kindle app. So you can pretend it's a Kindle, but it's your iPhone. It's amazing. And of course, the Kindle app is available on iPads. And it's even available on Mac computers. Um, I have a couple of books on iBooks as well, which is the Apple version of Kindle, which is just as good as, as Kindle. So either read books on your phone or get yourself a Kindle and one hard copy. That's very nice. Bring all your chargers. You don't want to be buying USB chargers when you're abroad. They're very expensive. When you're on holiday with your family, friends, partners, build some separateness into it. Because when you go on holiday with people, sometimes that is a real test of a relationship. Sometimes a holiday can break a relationship. And that's because you weren't used to spending that much time with someone. So the trick is, and I know with my fabulous wife, one of our first holidays, we had a big row in the middle. And it's because we hadn't spent such a long amount of time together before. We'd been boyfriend and girlfriend and we would like meet up do stuff and but we lived separately first holiday was like 24 7 together we weren't used to it we liked each other it was all going well but it was just after three or four days it was too much it wasn't too much for me because for some reason i'm quite an intense person and i'm quite good around to be around people a lot but my fabulous superior half my other half um definitely needs her space most normal sensible people do so we learned, we, we did, a, remember what I said earlier about accidents and then you have the software update. So we kind of created a thing, which is while we're on holiday, we'll do things together and we will do things apart. So on that holiday where we sort of had a big falling out, we agreed that there would just be little moments in the day where we would just say goodbye, 
and do our own thing, a couple of hours. And she would go to a museum and I would go shopping or I'd go to the beach and we just have a couple of hours by ourselves. And then we would reconvene and we'll all be lovely. And we'd be so happy to be together again. And so, but I think it works for, for every aspect of holidays, you know, whether it's if you're on holiday with family or with friends or colleagues or anything, build some separateness into it, right? Where you give each other a little break. One of the hardest things about holidays is being in each other's pockets nonstop for like two weeks. That'll drive anyone crazy. Why do successful bands like the Beatles break up? Because in the case of the Beatles, they spent nine years together, 24-7, relentless. They hated each other by the end. Which the same with it's an extreme version of what happens on holiday. You get sick of each other. It's like too much. That person is in your face. So just, you know, an afternoon here, an evening there, a morning here. So, you know, this holiday, my, Mrs. Dolan, she'll, she'll go swimming. She hits the beach and I'm in the town in bookshops, like the barrel of laughs that I am, or just mooching around. I'm mooching around. She's at the beach. Perfect. Get a bit of a break from each other and then reconvene. So don't forget the separateness. Um, another good thing with holidays is sometimes people get a bit like lackluster and that one day dribbles into the next and you have a feeling of hopelessness. Now, if you're able to just do nothing and enjoy it, then well done. And I congratulate you. But not everyone is able to do that because, you know, you're coming from home where you're very busy and you're very productive and you're doing this and you're doing that and you're at work and you're striving and you're achieving and you're pushing yourself. And then you go on holiday and you like somehow got to do nothing. Uh, a good friend of mine is a former national newspaper editor and he was famous for going on holiday for like two weeks with his family, but then he would be back in the office after five days because he just couldn't handle not being at work. It drove him nuts. He's in micromanaging his colleagues. He couldn't bear the idea that they were putting out the paper in his absence. So it'd be like two week holiday book. After five days, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to work. I've had enough of this. So um, some people need to like be productive whilst on holiday. They can't handle just being on the beach or lying on a sun lounger. If you are one of those people, that's great, but not everyone's like that. So I've got a solution because I'm not like that. I, I, I get a bit restless. So the trick is try to achieve. Oh no, let me fix that for a second. Sorry. Try to achieve one thing every day on your holiday, right? Just one sort of disciplined thing that's done and that will satisfy you. So for example, today, my thing was this podcast, okay, that I'm on the beach, I'm on holiday, I'm chilling out, but I would like to produce a podcast and I will give that to you. And that is the show. And when this podcast is finished, I will have a feeling of achievement. I got something done and I reckon I'll enjoy my evening more because I got a thing done. Yesterday, what was my thing yesterday? Yesterday, I went running and I went for a big run. Distance wise, not much, which is about five or six miles, but it's completely one long climb. It's basically, you go from a town up to another town, which is in the mountains. So 
So it's a steep incline the whole way. So it's a crazy, crazy demanding run. It's just, imagine a hike, but you're running the whole thing and you're like going up, up, up. It's brutal. And your heart is in your mouth by the end. It's, it's full on. And so that was yesterday's achievement was knowing is that, okay, I'm going to go on this run. It's going to be hard. I will be red faced. I will sweat. My heart will be in my mouth. My legs will be completely knackered. And that was the one thing that day. It could be anything. It could be like a swim. Um, tomorrow I'll run. I run every other day on holiday. So I'll, tomorrow's task will be another run. The day after that, maybe some admin, right? Just a half an hour of admin, of catching up on emails or just doing one of those jobs, administrative administrative jobs that you don't really fancy doing when you're at home, but you can do on holiday. Maybe finishing a book, you know, let's say you've got 100 pages left of your book. Just, you know, you think, right, tomorrow I'm going to finish that book. That's just a thing that you've done. So whatever it is, and as I say, if you're okay about being on the beach, that's fine. But if you struggle on holiday, then seek to achieve one thing. And I think you'll find that that really works for you and it will help make the holiday more tolerable. In a sense, some people struggle without having a bit of work every day or they struggle without a bit of structure. And if you just aim for that one thing, I reckon that will allow you, that will enable you to enjoy the rest of your day. Because some people struggle on holiday. It's an art form. You would think holiday is so perfect, but couples have the most enormous rows on holiday. Relationships end. Can I tell you another story? Do you want to hear another story? Someone I know was with his partner for 11 years before they actually got married. Now, that's a long time. It's a long courtship, isn't it? 11 years before they got married. Let's hit the microphone, Sean. Yep, good. 11 years together. Um, you really got to know someone, haven't you, after 11 years? You've not rushed into it. You won't believe this. They broke up on their honeymoon. I swear to God, it's a true story. Together 11 years broke up on the honeymoon. Uh, why? Well, because I don't know, but I will speculate. My guess is that once they went on honeymoon, they just thought, oh, we're married now. Is this it? It made them confront what their relationship actually was. And I think in the end, they were like underwhelmed or were not happy. So the holiday is a diagnostic moment in your life tells you a lot about yourself and it tells you a lot about your relationships and some relationships flare up on holiday. Holidays can destroy friendships, you know, people like get on really well. I did a uh, documentary series and I made one particular program with this woman and I was impressed by her. I thought she was very good at her job. She was a producer and a professional and we, we made a good program together. And she said, oh, I'm coming on the next, I'm coming on the next trip. And I said, that's such great news with celebrating. I'm so glad the last show was really good. Really enjoyed traveling with you. It's brilliant. So we went on the road for the, for the second show. It was a longer trip. And she was a nightmare. Really grumpy. 
Not a team player. Very negative. Honestly, not good. Not a good colleague. I would not work. I would not seek to work with that person again. Really spoiled the trip. And what happened? Well, we traveled together. And so I got to know her. And I got to see the real person. Sorry, I know I'm being really harsh here, but I'm just being really honest with you. Not a nice person, really negative, and, and therefore quite unprofessional because we're trying to make a great show. So we need people to be constructive and positive and, you know, offer solutions, not problems. And this person was a little gray cloud hanging over the production. And, you know, maybe you think, well, that was just me. That's my perception. My colleagues felt it too. And I work with a lot of people and I'm, I might have told you before, I pride myself on being quite good with difficult people. I like difficult people because often they're talented, but they're a challenge. And I like that. But this person was a disaster. And the only reason I found that out is because we were traveling together. We were on the road and I could see who she was, which I wasn't going to see on a shorter trip or a couple of days in the office was not going to show me that. So very often a holiday, well, I mean, you must have done this. You must have gone on holiday with mates and you found out Ian is just a nightmare. I thought Ian was a great guy, but he's a bloody nightmare. Never again. And, and all he is, is it's just you found out who they are. That's all it is. It's not the holiday's fault. You just spent more time with them. And also holidays are challenging and there are problems on holiday. You run out of money or you get robbed or you're sunburnt or the restaurant's closed or you can't get a cab back to the hotel. Things go wrong on holidays or someone breaks their leg. Holidays can be like an assault course. They can be very challenging. And therefore, you find out about people and their character based upon these unforeseen moments. It's amazing how stressful holidays can be. Right, are we nearly done? Let's, let's wrap this up. Um, you've got your medical supplies. You've got your Kindle. You've got your chargers. You've got your separateness. You've got your achieve one thing. Uh, walking around is really good when you're on holiday. Stick a backpack on, stick a water in your bag and just walk. Hike around. Um, see what's around you. Work out the local bus route. Save a lot of money when you're abroad by going to the supermarket, buying supplies. If you're lucky, your hotel will have a mini fridge. Take all of the bottles out of the mini fridge and fill it with just basic food supplies like butter and cheese. And then you can have some bread and you can give yourself food. You don't have to buy food when you're out. So the soup, local supermarket is a great way to save money. Skip lunch. We talked about this on a previous show. When you're abroad, if you're staying in a hotel, you have a monster breakfast. You go nuts with the breakfast. You eat a trillion calories for breakfast. Uh, you can also take like some of the bread from breakfast, make yourself lunch. Do not buy lunch on holiday. Skip lunch. Either by having enough from breakfast that keeps you going for lunch or, but either way, um, lunch is a waste of time. Save the budget for dinner. So you have a killer breakfast, which is paid for by the hotel and included. Get through the day and then have a wild, lovely dinner. Something to look forward to at the end of the day. Also, skipping lunch means you won't put on too much weight. 
because a good way to lose weight is intermittent fasting, which means a nice chunk of the day where you're not eating. I think we've done I think we've done an intermittent fasting show, haven't we? But I do feel like I do a I could do a deep dive on intermittent fasting. That brings us to the end of the show. It's been lovely to have your company. I will see you next week on the Mark Dolan Way. Big love and cheers. <laughs>